Hello ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in today. A massive thank you to those of you on the Subscribe Star. This Easter weekend, I'm putting out an exclusive interview with E. Michael Jones, all about his newest book, The Dangers of Beauty, which is exclusive for subscribers, and I'm going to be focusing more on informative and interesting content over there to support the stuff that comes out over here. Later this month, I'm travelling up to Glasgow to see John Watt and Alex Mitchell as we all try and raise awareness for the vaccine injured and bereaved and fight for proper justice. We've all had a good week piling on Julia Hartley Brewer for being a big farmer sellout shill. So do the right thing and follow that subscribe star link below to help me do the right thing. Five US dollars a month to get access to all the goodies. Today I'm speaking with Helen Miller about ADHD, which if you hadn't guessed I have a personal interest in. But we also talk about the actual physiological function of the heart, cacao ceremonies and how to put up with our current situation. All of Helen's links are below and definitely check them out. She's very interesting. Always censored, never silent. This is Unwashed. Right. Hello, everybody. I am very excited to be here with Helen Miller, who runs hearthealer.co.uk. How are you doing, Helen? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Finally got some blue skies, so I'm much better in the sky. Right. It's been a brutal winter. I work outside and last week it was quite nice on Monday and I thought that, oh, it's spring. It's going to set the tone. And then it pissed it down for four days and it was horrible. I've just needed to sleep all weekend to to get back to it. But hopefully, hopefully, yeah, we're we're through it. But we're not here to talk about the weather. We're really here to talk about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, but also I, I have some questions given where we are now in terms of uh dividing the population among the awake and the asleep. And I wonder if I don't know. I just see the world very differently to how I did, but I do have an interest in ADHD because I've sort of, I I think I basically self-diagnosed myself with it in about 2015. I think I read up on it, um, just sort of identified with it. It was like, yeah, it sounds like me. I've always been very not okay with the idea of big farmer or kind of going down that route. So I kind of just thought, yep, that's me and kind of toddled about, my life and then the world went mad um and I hadn't thought too much about it until I heard you mention it again um and went oh yeah no let's let's have a chat so over to you let's talk about ADHD okay so I'll try to not go on too many tangents which my ADHD brain does love a tangent um so my personal story with it was I lived in London I was always super busy traveling lots, spinning loads of plates, like, you know, no days off, no evenings off, just always busy out doing stuff. And then we had the lockdowns and I was 
not able to move as much outside. And I was like, and I also left London and moved to the sea. And I became quite aware that I wasn't functioning in a way that I would consider like particularly like normal. It just everything, brought everything up much closer to the surface. And I met a new friend where I'd moved to and we went out for coffee. And she said, oh, I've just been diagnosed with ADHD. And I kind of inwardly thought, oh, I'm not, I really don't like diagnosis. I think we're all a bit on the spectrum of everything and some people more than others. And she was, as she was talking about, and I was also thinking like, I'm, you know, I'd, I'd, I've been injured by pharmaceuticals. So I was like, I'm, I wouldn't be taking pharmaceuticals for anything. So I don't really know what the point in getting a diagnosis is. But then the more she spoke, the more I was like, oh, I think I probably have that. And then I kind of left it. And then I noticed that I continued my behavior. I became more aware of my behavior being more and more how she'd spoken about, like all the kitchen cupboards open, like always 30 tabs, like, you know, can't complete something in one sitting. It has to be over a period of time with like multiple other projects all at the same time. Like I can't top and tail, top and tail. And this sort of divine chaos that I create um, in, in just the way that I do things. And then I decided to look much more deeply into it. And then I found a lot of solace actually, because things that really irritated me about myself and the way that I did things. I was like, oh, that's because, and then I had also realized a few years before that I was dyslexic, like majorly dyslexic, and that had never been diagnosed because verbally I was a good communicator, but, and my mum was an English teacher and I was always an atrocious speller plus loads of other things. And I read at the same speed that I speak at. So I don't know, like there was just a whole load of things. Um, and so I became really aware of it. And then I also, as I, the more I researched it, all the things that can help it naturally, I was already filled my life with them like ceremonial grade cacao. I've been running cacao ceremonies for years. It's amazing for ADHD. Uh, and, and like breath work and, you know, exercise and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I think there's many ways to do it. Some people choose to take medication, some people don't. I ran a retreat for women with ADHD and neurodiversity at the weekend. And one of the women there was the first day she hadn't taken her med. And she thought that it was only her medication that could get her to feel like how she felt at the end of the retreat. And then she suddenly became aware that there are natural ways of doing what the pills were doing. So that's interesting. But in terms of your, so that's what, that's sort of how I come to, and I've been running workshops and events for people with neuro, women specifically with neurodiversity, because there's a lot of shame around it um, still, especially people in the workplace and things like that. And so working with people who are self-diagnosed or diagnosed to see the gifts in it, and this is how I feel like it ties into the awakening, which is really interesting because no one's asked me about this before, but I have been reflecting on it myself. So my personal thoughts are, and I was talking about this briefly on Saturday, but I'm not sure where everybody was on their page. So I kind of did it loosely. Is that I think we're going through a massive expansion of consciousness on this planet and some people are you know, have expanded consciousness more than others. It's not a race, it's not competition. And you might define that as like asleep, sleepy, waking up or, or levels of awareness or whatever words you want to use. And 
I think as that happens in the same way as when you go through adolescence and like puberty and your hormones kick in and you have major mood swings, I think part of our mental body, our energetic body assimilating this expansion of consciousness means that like our brains start to wire and fire differently. And so it becomes more and more hard or abhorrent to sit and just be able to type away all day or be very sort of linear in the way that you function. And one of the things about ADHD is sort of like extreme sensitivity, sensitivity to rejection, um, a lot of deep intuitive gifts, uh, you know, and as well as being like very creative and non-linear in the way that you process. And all of that, I think is, uh, you know, connected to this expansion in consciousness. And that's why, as well as some other reasons, I'm not personally a fan of medicating it because I don't see it as something that needs to be eradicated. There are parts of it that are problematic, but I think most people aren't neurotypical and the world needs to evolve from being a very neurotypical world in the same way is our very regimented views of the way that people learn back in the day. Like if you were right hand, left-handed, you were forced to write with your right hand and we've become adapted to left and right-handed people. I think we adapt to the spectrum of neurodiversity that people have. And I see that as a good thing rather than trying to medicate yourself out of it. Mm. Yeah, in this is... This is a really, really interesting perspective on it, because I think as you described it there, I'm like, well, if I was to describe ADHD in a nutshell as someone that believes they have it, then I would say it's kind of an inability to deal with the matrix. (laughs) That's basically where we are. It's like you get extremely bored by things that in 2020, it turns out, we're all a pile of shit anyway, and that we didn't need to worry about. So the problem with ADHD, I think, has always been that last D, is this disorder. You've already covered this. Yeah. It's like, and if you are like us, where you've self-diagnosed it, then it, the idea of it being a negative is like you're, you're inherently uncomfortable with that because you're like no this is my superpower like no and um and I think this this might have been my my fear with it because I definitely didn't want to look into it until I got to a certain age and felt safe um is the I think a problem is people that are neurotypical if that's a decent word for it deciding that this is a disorder and figuring out what we're going to do about it and that's the the medication route and i've just always looked at america and this whole ritalin thing and been terrified by it i think it's a it's a serious serious problem and um what you're proposing is much better so what what are yeah go go more into some of these ways that people have dealt with it and also the difference between men and women because i'm aware that men normally it's picked up in their like early teens whereas women i think it's average age of about 30 that they'll start thinking about this stuff so it displays really differently in men and women boys and girls the reason that they didn't realize that they didn't believe that adults could have adhd because they did a study i think it was of 17 children like the grand total of 17 
could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's how many there were. And they because the the um, the bit of the sort of the stereotype of running around the classroom, hitting the walls or jumping on the tables, that the hyper part, the hyper part shifts in the brain by the age of 18. So the rest of the symptoms maintain, but they're less obvious. And because they did this study of 17 children, when they got to the age of 18, they stopped being as hyper. They just decided that ADHD doesn't exist past the age of 18. And that was, and then because it displays differently in women as nearly every illness does, and there are a huge number of more women who die of like heart attacks and strokes because it's not diagnosed because it looks completely different and it's not in medical training um it's yeah it's often miss like often and women tend to be much more self-critical so they tend to just think they're screwed up and that's it and it's just an individual problem i am also noticing with my clients that uh menopause and the change in hormones there seem to flare it up so women lots of women are getting diagnosed around when they're going through the menopause because it makes it much more extreme and the way that it displays maybe in the classroom is that potentially boys are running around, not sitting down, finding it difficult to sit still, difficult to concentrate, maybe uh, talking back to the teacher or misbehaving in that way. Whereas girls are much more likely to be silent, staring out the window, daydreaming, like not engaging with this reality as much and living very much in their head. And so that behavior hasn't, doesn't, distract from other people's learning it's not there they're not learning but it's not but it's not upsetting the classroom and so it's often been missed um as it gets older it shows up differently and what i find really interesting is that the what's it called the venn diagram of like symptoms of trauma and adhd are a bit like that so this is also where I'm sort of very open to diagnose, self-diagnosed, because some people are very sure that it is exactly how the brain is wired from birth and it's ADHD, it's an ADHD brain. But our brain chemistry and the way that our brain fires and wires can be informed by trauma, especially early age trauma. And if you have complex PTSD, which is something I've experienced, like who, how am I to say whether it's ADHD or complex trauma? And also there's um, been quite a lot of research more recently, which I haven't looked into in detail about parents who have ADHD are much more likely to have children who have ADHD, but who's to say that that's hereditary or learned behavior because they have a parent who operates in the world like this. And so those are habits and behaviors that they start to learn. I just think the research is really young and we know with all forms of research, it depends who's funding it, what they want the outcome to be, you know, who's in government, like what pharmaceutical companies affiliated with what, you know, to what results seen. So we don't really know. But I think the main thing is that as human beings evolving, we don't make ourselves wrong. We don't beat ourselves up and we look for ways to own and love the parts of it that really work for us and the parts of it that, you know, a bit like stubbing your foot in the same place every day. It's like, why do I keep on doing this? We find tools and techniques that work for us, that are holistic, that aren't going to give us side effects, that allow us to live in the world as it evolves to be more embracing of neurodiversity. Hmm. I wonder if there is this, um, I know that this 
uh, I'm not neurotypical thing had this overlap with the whole safe space flare up and the me 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 culture. Does does that make any sense? Have you have you noticed that or looked into that? That I mean, I'll I'll go into an example. Is I discovered this stuff because my ex basically stumbled across this while I was with her and um and thought, wait, I think I think this is me looked into it and she actually got diagnosed um because I think she needed someone else to confirm it for her um but it was a very personal thing and then one of her friends found out about this and then kind of used it as a very public thing and then got really into the the pronouns and all of that and there is and yeah no I'm bringing this up because I've been um kind of binging the trans topic the past sort of fortnight especially since what happened to posey parker um and there is this huge overlap between the teenage girls who are um autistic which has we're not talking about the same thing here though are we adhd and autism sorry i've gone i've I've gotten all confused (laughs) <laughs> so they're different forms of neurodiversity, ADHD and autism. Um, it is possible to have both. And just uh, hearsay, having spoken to people at the retreats that I run, um, somebody on Saturday was saying she found it very difficult to date fellow ADHD men, but has to tends to have quite a brilliant synergy with autistic men so it works for her to be adhd with an autistic man and that's quite a helpful relationship they balance each other out and then there was a there was a woman there who had been diagnosed with both um both conditions i mean from coming to the other parts first i mean we are we like this what's termed like the snowflake flake generation and all that hypersensitivity. I mean, part of ADHD is being sensitive, extra sensitive. We also have ESP, extra sensitive person. These are diagnoses that you can imagine like in the 70s and 80s, people would just be like, shut up and get on with life. But I think it's important for as we expand consciousness, we become you know, less brisk, less, you know, shut up and get on with it. And it's part of the evolution to be more compassionate, more empathetic, more understanding, more sensitive, but without, like without, with any condition, like not using it as an excuse, oh, I can't because I'm ADHD or, do you know what I mean? Like it's not, not seeing it as a limitation in that way, but going, okay, well, I've got ADHD, so that bit might be more challenging, but I'm doing this anyway. And I think the thing about the kind of, that gener- the kind of sweeping thing that came through is it had a lot of brilliant things where lots of behavior that should have been called out and stopped a long time ago started to get into the spotlight, how much change has actually happened because of that's debatable. But it's about whether you hide behind it and get all up in arms and want the world to change and then evolve around you with a sense of entitlement and not a lot of empathy to then other people or whether or whether you just everybody's looking for more and more labels which actually creates further and further division and i think from my perspective in terms of seeing this as an expansion of consciousness and a spiritual revolution or evolution in many senses it's a it's about knowing that we are all completely individual and unique but we don't need to cling on to labels and little divisions which creates further 
animosity and you know like a sleep awake or um you know lgbtq straight like you know what I mean like or like you know kinky vanilla or whatever like it's just like we all have different tastes and abilities and ways of seeing the world and that is part of being a human being rather than having to need extra boxes it's also quite an internal thing it shouldn't be a show-off thing it should be something that you sort of consider in your own head Ooh, is this is this me am i am i going this route do i feel like being a new ager today this is but not but not not showing it off and i just yeah i don't think it's actually as big a problem is as we're touted by a lot of sources i think piers morgan and the likes are capitalizing on the woke generation and i really i actually don't think it's that bad i think it's sort of overinflated um I just noticed this sort of propensity and yeah, I think it was the difference between people that went, oh, I've discovered I'm autistic and I'm also non-binary and I also, you know, you need to let me have this like special light in work and and this amount of time off and there were, yeah, it had this, but I, I think that overlaps with um it presents as narcissism and it's unhealed trauma and we've all learned so much about this from the start of 2020 it feels like everyone's binged sort of narcissism content and learned about this and i think it is because that's what that's the techniques that were used against us and they're still being used against us because we're being gaslit as if none of it happened True. And not everybody binge watch narcissistic uh, content. Some people who should have maybe didn't. Um, but that's my personal gripe. But, you know, I mean, it's I mean, I think part of what I do is I teach emotional intelligence in business um, as a sort of speaker. I go in. It's my it's when I put the tie dye down and put the suits on. But the and, and that's really that's a really interesting world to be part of because it's it's new to change in many respects in that sphere like um and it's massively become something that is actually taken fairly seriously since the lockdowns whereas before it was a bit like let's stick an hr sticker on to say we've nodded to well-being where now it's actually you know the impact on bottom line like the turnover like the mass exodus of people in in the lockdowns who realized that actually they weren't paid enough to be as miserable as they were once they weren't in the hustle and bustle of their jobs and so I think we are going in the right direction. I just think, I think the media is reporting on it is really unhelpful. Um, and I think, and I, you know, and I, I also think like, so I think everything's with a pinch of salt. Like there's a way of going into it, which is very academic and very cerebral and very sort of like um, as a psychiatrist, which looks at everything very scientifically. And then there's a way of going in, looking at it through like completely spiritual lens, which is very blurred and very ungrounded. And I think it's, I think for everybody, it's somewhere in the middle because like with everything we, yeah, we are multidimensional beings of a human experience, but we also have to have our feet on the ground and our, our head in the cosmos. Mm. Mm, no, it's interesting seeing you, I mean, do you work in the matrix or would you not describe it as that you go into because i used to work in a in a big office and i pretty much just got flung out of there just before 2020 here to, to never no return. i don't work in the matrix i've never been employed i've always been self-employed i spent most of my life as an actor 
And alongside acting, I went into businesses and trained people in communication skills. And that led me into, because the reason I was an actor is because I'm fascinated by the psychology of people and why they do what they do. And so that led me into having a skill set that was relatable to people in business that I found interesting. So I would never be in an office. So I, I found it fascinating from an acting perspective, like to meet all these business people who were interested in things totally different to me and why they were doing what they were doing. And so occasionally um, I go in and design my own training to help people in businesses, which is now much more about emotional intelligence. And I bring in spirituality and quantum physics and plant medicine and shamanism and but it's under the banner of emotional intelligence but for me all of that is in the same recipe book mm -hmm. and uh yeah so i wouldn't say i work in the matrix i say sometimes the matrix invites me in yeah no that's it that's interesting um no people people are more than welcome to go into the matrix and do their light work as i think we call it um <laughs> And, sprinkle but, some fairy dust around and uh, talk about psychometric testing yeah yeah absolutely but i do i do believe that uh the world is fundamentally split off and like none none, none of the good people that can see are sort of forced to live in that drudge reality anymore or uh, well i've i heard someone describe covid as humanity's dark night of the soul and the way that you described people not going back to the job that they did go that they were doing before I mean it must have been this huge shake-up in ways that we haven't really seen with so many people like just not putting up with stuff anymore but it's going to be an unseen effect um so I think I mean as I've evolved through the last few years when initially I thought so I, I was a, aware of things in the world for a good you know since at various levels from sort of 2008 to two by 2014 I was sort of fully um I, was, I and then more and more layers you know I don't think we ever our whole life is one of an awakening journey on this you know as we ate as we grow up um in all right in all ways but I think that when I used to think like we just need everybody to just like get it like now like it'll be done in a week how can it not be like the world would have stopped working because nobody would have put food on the shelves nobody would have like everyone would have been out like skipping in the fields or you know grabbing pitchforks like it's it, it it's i would say god you know i use the word god i would say it's god's design and everybody is here to learn in a different way and it might not be right you know who can tell from my from helen's perspective it might not be right for certain people to see it all or get it all and i definitely think in the way like for, for things to function and there not to be more pain and more death like than there needs to be like if any if, if there needs to be any like it has to happen gradually and it has to happen in certain ways and so i don't think it's a case of all the people who are doing light work or have an awareness you know do these sorts of jobs I think it's really important that there are journalists and politicians and business owners and whoever with that awareness because we otherwise it becomes a segregation mm. 
No, you, you are right. I just feel like there's certain segments of society that are becoming more and more intolerable to me, the more used to spending all my time speaking with people like you um, and just sort of operating my life in these kind of circles. Like I find London in general more difficult because um, I live just outside and I would zip in for all the protests and stuff. I find it more difficult going on. Um and even just going out to like a normal pub is not the same as it was in 2019. Something's shifted. Um, I mean, loads of stuff has shifted. My tolerance to alcohol has completely shifted, among other things. Um, that That's kind of what I'm getting at. The, I, I don't know. I feel sad when I go in a supermarket and I see people having the, the music pumped at them, the same six pop songs all day and... The same thing day in, day out. I feel like, um, well, I mean, it's part of the reason I'm interested in, I saw you on the people speak out and it's that that kind of stuff where it's not about constantly reacting to, oh, the media is lying to you. Let's tell you what the truth is. Like, no, 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 we're, we're growing food over here and doing stuff. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think as our vibration changes like what used we used to enjoy because it used to be a higher vibration to us used to lift us up like you know when we're here that then brings us down um because actually our vibration has become higher than that thing and so like i don't i can't i really find being in pubs a challenge now whereas before 10 years ago maybe longer used to be like my favorite place to be and now I don't drink and I don't really want to be around people drinking. And I, you know, I don't want to be in Tesco's with strip lighting and keep your space messages blaring out. And, um, but, you know, I, I think, I think that's to do with our vibration and yeah, it is challenging. I, ha I have some, you know, I know some gorgeous humans and we're not on the same page of awareness. And so the friendship is still there, but it doesn't have the same like entangled root connection that it used to because I now have that level of depth with other people, most of whom are online, which is, uh, yeah, I think also probably needed because if we were all in the same place, we wouldn't be anchoring the light in different the different quadrants it's needed. Yeah, I think as you, as you say all that, I'm reminded that we're at the start of a very, very long, new, extravagant, apparently, process. Apparently, this is something that we're all supposed to be looking forward to. It's not the it's not the end. It's the beginning. But it is the very, very, very beginning. So, like, you know, walk before you can run. Um, I really want to learn about the heart because this is what you're an expert in. Right. Or one, one of many things you're an expert in. But um, I want to learn more about your expertise when it comes to the heart well um as, I, as somebody was saying today like apparently we've got a baby mind in our heart and we send more we send information from here to our our mind and i said it's the other way around we send five thousand times more information from our heart center to our mind than the other way around and yet we live in a society, especially in the West, which is completely mind focused. And we go to school to learn and remember and store things in our mind, but we don't learn anything about the heart. 
and what it does and what it is as an energetic center. Because, yeah, we have a physical heart that pumps blood around the body and without it, we wouldn't function. But the energetic heart center, you know, when we have our heart broken, we when we go through pain, trauma, when we have especially like under seven, when we aren't shown love or have our needs met, we can close down here and we become we restrict our ability to feel pain. And so it's a bit like I always see the image of like when you were at school and you put a ruler between your desks and you would like flick the ruler and it make a twangy sound. When we do that, it stops the it basically we stop being able to feel, feel the full spectrum of emotions because we're trying to avoid the pain. But we also close ourselves off to love, joy, bliss, peace, tranquility, all of these things, sensitivity, because we can't just cut off one side of the spectrum. We have to like swing the heart has to pump that that full that full spectrum. And consequently, we try to recreate those parts of our experience that are missing through drugs, through alcohol, through binge eating, through whatever high false highs we're chasing. And so as we start to heal the heart, as we start to listen less to the mind, which is programmed by the traumas and the neural the neural programs that we've picked up either through the media, through society or through the stories we've told ourselves. And we start to listen to our heart, all of that spectrum starts to open up. And that's why it's often considered warrior work, because you have to be really brave to face the pain you've been numbing yourself to. But once you start to face the pain, you also get the joy and the bliss and the rapture without needing the tequila or the coke or the whatever. And so and as you start to melt and thaw all of that out, you become less, um, I guess, less extreme uh, in what your needs and desires are. And you start to find more balance and strength in living um, in your center. That doesn't mean you numb out and become boring, but it means that you can regain your center much more easily. That is it's fascinating because it's like in school, they'll teach you the function of every organ, basically, apart from that. And I think they do a decent job, like the lungs are in charge of breathing and the eyes are in charge of seeing. But the heart, they, they teach you that it's just a pump. And that is basically our, our official idea of what the heart does. But folklore agrees with everything that you've said. Everyone kind of knows this based on just poems and um idioms and movies and just things that people say you know this is fascinating i mean it's in our i mean it's the truth of our essence of being like people if you ask a kid to draw a picture it'll probably draw a heart fairly quickly like it's not drawing a lung do you know what i mean like it becomes the image of love because love is what this universe is birthed out of if we had more hate than love or more fear than love we would have imploded a long time ago. But the fact that generally most people, most like kids are born good. Do you know what I mean? Like kids run around and hug each other and want to share their food with you and pull out their bit of toast from their mouth and give it to you because they want you to have some too. Like they hug each other, they kiss each other in the mirror. Do you know what I mean? Like they are lovely until they experience crap, which makes them scared. And 
but they come out loving. And that's because this world is based of love, but the news would have you think that 99% of it's crap. Yeah. And, const- and that is because the heart is the center and love is the center. That was the key during COVID in 2020, quite early on, I was saying, if you just like turn off your TV, ignore the billboards and ignore anything that the the government can touch through the media and just look at people walking around like there ain't no damn plague. It's all and people are also like friendly and they're just getting on with it. And people aren't even acting as manic as you're seeing on Twitter, where you see like masked people beating up non-masked people on the train. Like that's also not happening. Um, So, yeah, I think people are generally good. And I'm really optimistic at the moment, just based on how pleasant the average day is compared to how horrible it was at the tail end of 2020. Like, I think we're going to be all right. And people send me links about, I mean, I know we're on an economic precipice and all the rest of it, but life feels pretty good compared to a few years ago. And I don't think I'm being complacent. Um, yeah. And I mean, are we on an edge of an economic precipice? I mean, we always are apparently. We, I mean, always. It's all made up anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, like they they can pretend that we've run out of fruit and veg, or like maybe we have, but like, have we really? Like, who knows? All we can go off, you know, is our ultimate reality. And even if, you know, the, the, we're told that if they don't have enough to eat, obviously for a very long time. But, you know, we're told we don't have enough to eat, you're going to be miserable or we don't like this equals misery. But there have been times in my life where I haven't, you know, I spent two weeks in the Amazon eating basically nothing. And like that was some of the happiest I've ever been. Like there's like what we're told will make us miserable is a construct in the same way what we're told will make us happy, whether that be, you know, takeaway and Netflix is a construct. And it's all falling away at the moment anyway. Yeah. I feel like they're, they're grappling really, really hard. The reason that we're, we probably feel like we're living in clown world and like every day is more ridiculous with another man winning an award for being a woman. Um, maybe that's because they're just desperate for our attention and they have to try really, really, really hard. And this is the end result. Well, absolutely. I mean, if somebody's, you know, not a, th- threat to anyone else like a little girl with ADHD in the classroom you just get overlooked and left to get on with it right it's only when things are you know pressure like because if the great awakening wasn't happening they wouldn't have needed to doing all the things they do but at the same point what they're doing you know if God exists it's not because he's got that bit wrong like they're serving a purpose that negativity is the pressure that is waking people up to use that term oh 100 percent. yeah yeah i guess it took this to get us to this point yeah. and um, similar to adh disorder god's not making mistakes um i meant to ask yeah. you this earlier like what what was your perspective of school looking back and knowing this now i mean i was bloody miserable <laughs> like I was really miserable until I was about 30 something. 
um, which is why I do the work I do because I, I was, I hated, like, I hated myself and then I hated being alive and I kept trying not to be here and in many different ways. And like, it's my, my, like, what, how was school horrendous? Like, I liked learning what I wanted to learn, but I was like Marmite. Like, I know what I want to do with my life. I know what I'm interested in. I don't want to have to do three languages that I'm not interested in and not be able to do the arts I am interested in because I know what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. So, Why am I sitting in this class learning about this from a teacher who hates me no, when my, I can't be doing music? Yeah, my school, you weren't allowed to do music and drama. They put them at the same time so that you couldn't do both. What the hell? Any kid that wants to do one is going to need to do the other to further their chances in that. And yeah, so I, I was completely in that camp as well. And it was, yeah, same thing. I think this will probably be a universal if anyone's thinking, oh, do I have ADHD? Well, were you split between, no, I know that I'm interested in this. I know I'm good at this. So why don't I devote all my time to this? And the rest of this is just a waste. And every report card, same each year. He's, he's, he's intelligent. He just doesn't apply himself. Yeah, because it's useless. And like, as I said earlier, we have now discovered that it was useless. And you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist. And I'm thinking, well someone with adhd is not a model citizen they're not a they're not the the perfect triple jabbed ukraine flag waving person and i think that people that got all a stars and were like head girls are, are very very dangerous i think a lot of these people who don't have an innate creativity but are very good at passing exams have actually got us into this situation i think there's something in that i see where you're coming from but i think ultimately there is i mean that i ultimately all level all different types of intelligent and intelligence are needed including people who are great and really logical and right brain um because you know i'm not a fan of spreadsheets and someone needs to be so that's great but the i think that level of compliance comes from a deep-seated fear which comes from broken heart like closed hearts so whether that's parents who have been you know like you have to get these grades because you have to get a proper job because they don't have they don't trust in life that actually you can be whatever you want to be because that desire is in you because it is in your God, God's design in you that you wouldn't have that appetite to, I don't know, join the circus or be a graffiti artist or a fashion designer or any other like not a proper job. Because we need the artists in the world in the same way that we need the greengrocers in the world. I feel like this was easier sort of before this all kicked off. Even it, I was having these kind of discussions before all of this kicked off in 2020, but it's just a, such a different context because it's like, I don't know, I, I, I'm doing stuff like this right now because it's what the world needs. Um, and I actually was doing exactly what I wanted before. I was a DJ. It's pr probably the same as you being um, being an actress. It's like, yeah, I really love doing this. And I did it. Um, wasn't wasn't very rich off it, but I, I gave it a good bloody go. Uh, whereas now we're in a situation where I'm kind of panicking because I don't think 
I get to do just whatever I want. I think I think humanity needs some quite urgent help right now. I think you I think you can do both. I think you can do what you want and and by doing what you want, you are helping because when you're doing what you want, you're shifting the vibration. And also like I I love acting and I love telling stories that need to be heard. And for, you know, a few years I closed that door because the stories that I felt were really needing to be heard immediately <laughs> weren't being told, were being silenced, and certain people weren't allowed to be at that job. So or being seen for that work. And so I focused, I mean, I was running Heart Healer for years before, but it was one big event a month. And then when the lockdowns happened, it became multiple events and retreats. And I brought all my coaching from the business world into this world. And I now support people who want to transition careers, relationships, understand the awakening and all of that stuff in their in their daily life. So I love that. And I think that's helping. And I also, if I go into, you know, acting and go back to acting as well, which I'm doing a little bit more of now, if I don't see that as not also helping, because I think, you know, everything is frequency. So if, if I work in oil or I work in an office like, and I'm in my vibration, my vibration is helping the people around me. I just have to make sure that I'm sensible and don't spend all my time in Tesco's trying to vibrate it to a higher level because it, I'll just run out of steam. That's all I meant. There are certain environments that I, I walk into and I'm like I couldn't I couldn't tolerate it here. And, uh, and I've just noticed that some of them have changed. Some of them I wouldn't have minded before. And now I'm like, oh, God, get me out of here. Um, so I'm noticing that change in myself. I want to learn more about these cacao ceremonies because I've this is one thing I've never done and I have no experience in. And, and I'm always up for learning about new things. So tell me about what this is all about. So I work with loads of different plant medicine um, all over the world before I came to cacao and I was like, people were talking about it and I was like, but I'm used to working with poisonous frog venom and what's chocolate gonna do? And the thing about some of the other plant teachers is they're really extreme experiences. And in some ways they can be traumatic. And if you're going to that way of healing through trauma, in a way it can keep you in a, in a somewhat it has the potential to keep you in the loop because your nervous system is attracted to that extreme experience because you've been through extreme experiences and what i found when i started to work with ceremonial grade cacao which is the difference between like health food shop cacao is because it works with the heart is that it's a gentler can be as profound but it's more accessible way of healing and opening the heart and it can be fun and it can be giggly and it can make you feel great and it's not when it's a strong experience it's not like being drunk it's not but it it feels like you but you just feel very very happy like you on a really good day when you're walking down the street and just like saying hi to strangers and um not like you stoned and it's but also because you spoke about the lungs earlier, yeah, the lungs help us breathe, but they also where we store grief. 
So when we start to just like when you look at smoking and the addiction to smoking and it's like, oh, we're repressing the grief, right? And tobacco is also a plant medicine. Interestingly, some people say that uh, cacao and tobacco are the two strongest plant medicines on this planet, and that's why they're the most misused. Wow. So this is why people binge on chocolate as well. Well, when you put sugar, dairy and processes and heat into the chocolate making process, you're removing all the consciousness altering, consciousness expanding elements. In the same way, when you, you know, make a cigarette rather than sacred tobacco, which is used in prayer and you never inhale it, you just smoke it and work with it very differently. You know, that's a very different relationship. I could talk a lot about that, but I won't go too into it now. But in terms of cacao, uh, so it opens up the heart, but it can also bring tears. It can also bring, bring big emotional release and catharsis because it's dislodging trapped grief in it, from the lungs as well. And also as our heart cracks open, a lot of tears are shed, but those are healing. You know, it's a beautiful cry. It's a sort of cry where you feel, oh, thank God, I put all that luggage down afterwards, you know. Uh, so ceremonial green cow, you can microdose with it. You can use it to like start your day. It's great at replacing caffeine or getting you out of sugar addiction, but you can also have stronger doses where you can get into, it's really great for enhancing creativity, enhancing sensual feeling. It's a great for date night. Uh, and I've been doing these for years and I always used to say it's been proven to help ADHD and Parkinson's because it helps with break the way that uh, the brain fires and wires. And of course, now I realize <laughs> I have ADHD and so it's, I was instantly gravitating towards it. Uh, I mean, I can talk to you about it on a physical level, like it helps repair muscles, it's great for bodybuilders, it's great for PMS um, and premenstrual syndrome and endometriosis and things that uh, where the muscles are very tight, but it's also um, great for breaking addictive patterns and behavior and enhancing creativity. It's great for getting you in your body. Lots of people use it in combination with ecstatic dance and five rhythms and yoga and things like that. And my ceremonies are, I take it much more sort of into inner work and deeper healing and creating connection and community and I hold them on different themes and after years of being asked I am just about to launch my first cacao ceremony training because there are lots of people who don't fully understand it as a plant medicine who are just popping up and going oh yeah well I normally do this but now I'm adding a cup of cacao in I don't know much but it's a cacao ceremony and I've been to quite a few events where it's called a cacao ceremony and I'm just handed a cup of cacao and then we're off doing something else and I think that doesn't help you know I think it's a very western way of not necessarily getting the depth and the presence and the healing that it has within it and I think the plant needs to be treated with respect so Yes, because you're communing with another consciousness when you're doing work on this level, right? Yeah. It's like, I really wouldn't recommend taking magic mushrooms and a line of Coke. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I wouldn't recommend Coke at all, but I don't recommend taking ceremonial grey cacao and then, like, running off to a rave. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um yeah if they're if they're plants then 
yeah, treat them with some respect if you want to learn from them. I've always been fascinated by this stuff because, yeah, I ended up in a in a circle in my early 20s where everyone was trying everything. And it was that weird time when bath salts were legal, if you remember that being in the news. This is sort of about 10, 12 years ago. Basically, everyone of my generation was going, oh, it's fine. It's legal. Do whatever you want. And trying this wacky stuff from China, which could have rotted your brain. Um and while this was going on, I, I won't pretend that I stayed completely clean, but I was just fascinated by like reading around it. I read a lot of trip reports and it was because like there's something deeper going on here. I know that if you're just like going to a rave or you're sort of at a house party for three days, that's I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, so I love learning about this. It, it done the proper way. Mm. And it's, you know, it's a fun, great ally. Do you know what I mean? Like if I've if I've got a stressful thing to do, I'll have a cup of cacao with me and it just makes it a lot better mm. rather than, you know, potentially having a can of monster drink or do you know what I mean? Like all the other things that people go to to get through stressful situations. I'm aware of the symbolism on uh, on the monster cans, but I saw one today that someone at work was drinking that had it was called the Monarch and it had a butterfly on it. And I'm like, that's an MK Ultra reference. This is this is dark. This oh, I don't like it. But um, I've, I've noticed that I, I used to be a lot worse for that as well. I'm I'm really really like I don't want a tub of Pringles or just any of the supermarket crap so it's it's coming on nicely um yeah did you did you have a sudden you didn't have as much of a sudden great change in 2020 it sounds like you were way on this path already uh, my massive like split second like having the plug pulled was in 2014 mm. and overnight i became you know i went i went eating chicken drinking diet coke and left it like being vegan talking to the plants like realizing the planet was alive unable to be in a pub it was literally like pressing the beam me up scotty button and then i spent several years pixelated not yet landing anywhere unable to live my normal life all my friends going what's worn with helen and we go, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who I am. I, I saw basically I saw through the matrix and was just like, well, how do I function? Um, I mean, after 9-11, a few years after 9-11, I was shown a load of documentaries and I was like, oh, right. That makes, I'm not shocked. Don't trust, you know, I never trusted like that matrix, but I didn't have my spiritual awakening till 2014. And that was quite extreme and never stopped. The bell curve kind of just carried on going. So by the time we got to 2020, I was like, this is what I've been training for. You know, <laughs> it's all, it'll make sense now. Yeah, it, it's it's good to see, like, to think of everyone on their own curve, because you were describing it earlier, if everyone woke up at the same rate, then all of our, all the things we rely on in the world would just like crumble in one fell swoop. There'd be no more herbal tea. No, there'd be no more anything good. Like, <laughs> I, know, I know, I know it's the Matrix and it's like all horrible and stuff, but I do actually like like a Kit Kat chunky and <laughs> that we live in that kind of world and maybe it'll all collapse and we'll have like beautiful orchards everywhere where you just go and pick an apple, but like, 
I don't mind the Kit Kat Chunky for now. If they take that away tomorrow, I'd be a bit sad. But I think I don't think it's like all or nothing. It's like AI is here. Like a lot of it is really scary and can be used in terrible ways. But also it means we can automate loads of really tedious, boring things that especially ADHD brains don't want to ever do. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, so there's like, we wouldn't be talking and connecting in this way. Like think how atrociously painful the last few years would have been if you were if you didn't have Zoom and you were just stuck with your neighbors or the people that you lived with. Yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of double-edged sword stuff because I don't think they would have been able to pull it off without everyone already being in the yeah. sort of Netflix reality, but also at the same time, that's what helped us to find each other and get out of this. And it's like, I think that social media, Twitter, Facebook and all that, it was built as a sort of prison and a way to collect data on people. But unfortunately for them, it ended up being the way that everyone's got the truth out. So that's how all this stuff works. You use technology for your advantage. Um, Though I am becoming, no, much, much less connected to tech and like, and yeah, when we talk about the high vibration stuff, I think I find more and more of the apps really like distasteful. I got banned from Twitter for about four or five months. And then as soon as I got back on it, I was like, oh, this is foul. It's horrible on here. This just, I'm just angry. That's nasty. And um, and I think we'll become more sensitive to this stuff and hopefully be less susceptible to, to the sort of infinite scroll thing that we all did, yeah. you know? I think, I mean, it's interesting because I spent years being so, I was such a sort of militant vegan and militant recycler and, you know, annoying, I imagine deeply annoying um, and to lots of people. And, you know, I then have got much more blurred in my extreme, in my extreme sort of need to change other people and all of that stuff and talk about, you know, this and that, because it is all needed and integrated. Like we don't know, we don't need single use plastic. That is something that'd be really, really great if we didn't have. But the planet is also like, if we just leave it to its own devices, it heals itself. Like, you know, every time we drop nuclear waste, magic mushrooms appear around the site even if they've never appeared in that country before. Like the planet has intelligence. It's going, are you doing this stupid thing? You morons, eat me. Wake up and realize that's a stupid thing to do. Like that there is, you know, this is happening. And I got really, I got really annoyed on Thursday night. I went to a talk by two scientists on psychedelic research now becoming much more in the mainstream and it moving into uh mainstream being dying like basically psychedelics been given out to deal with depression and ptsd in the mainstream and i thought this is really going to be interesting but it was all about testing you know mushrooms or lsd on people in labs um, under sort of microscopes and and I sort of said that you know you've only really had increased funding in the last decade to do this why aren't you in conversation with shaman who've got thousands of years of understanding what's really going on with consciousness not just how many you know your REM when you sleep mm. like 
And how can you possibly prescribe something in a tablet where it's a conscious, it's consciousness, because you could have the same dose to two different people and it's never going to be the same experience or even the same person because the plant will give you what you need at that point in time. And if you aren't on that page, then how can you be doing that research you're doing? Not that I disagree with it, but it was just a very right brain, left brain way of looking at it. And they wouldn't even admit whether they'd taken it or not. And they just said about a third of the people in the labs working on these experiments had at some stage tried psychedelics, but most of them haven't. And they were just interested in the brain wiring. And you could, you know, I had to look at myself talking to you because I was getting cross in my inner, like sitting there. I was like, why am I, Helen, why are you doing this to yourself? Like, let the crossness go. Because there is some part of those people where they've taken them or not that is interested. And if they're not ready yet to take them, they're still in that way. And okay, yeah, you know, you could say that pharma are just taking what is naturally in nature and free and good for us and selling it, take, you know, destroying a lot of it and selling us back to us. Or you could look at it as that some people who would never feel safe enough to take psychedelics can potentially have a lot of trauma healed. Hmm. by getting them in a different route i presume you know who david nutt is right do you remember that not great with names okay he was um it was in about 2009 i think uh he was commissioned by the government to do a report on the damage of various drugs um and substances and he basically came back and gave them the wrong results that they didn't want and he got and they fired him yeah yeah um because I've, I've forgotten why i was bringing him up now but it was it was about the yeah you know it was the he was pointing out the therapeutic uses of this kind of stuff and yeah that was why it was um it was it, it was relevant it's because that sort of introduced a whole swathe of people to the idea that um it was basically like magic mushrooms and mdma Ooh. were first of all not not going to kill you in the way that like alcohol is killing thousands and thousands and thousands of people every year but also um there's serious benefits if done properly um and I'm, i was really interested in that it wasn't just me it's a whole generation so yeah that's one of those sort of positive effects of just of just him getting fired Loads he was the boss of one of the scientists from imperial who were doing this talk wow okay so yeah no because because that would be done through that that academic setting i'm just so scared and skeptical after the medical tyranny that that mm. happens that's you know that's got me so scared of that way of doing things and i wonder if the dividing line is maybe like the word divine because i listen to a lot of scientists who are talking about consciousness and they all obviously they're not atheists because just because of the way they're framing it um and I wonder if this is a part of it. I also, I've just finished reading a, a book by a Catholic author and he's talking about art. And he's basically talk, talking about how modern art doesn't work and it's so disgusting to us and revolting because it's denying the divine, essentially. It's not in reverence to the divine or anything good. And But it's and made wonder- by a human who's made by the divine. Oh no no no! I know that I know there's. <laughs> I, 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 
yeah that's the thing i'm interviewing him next and i'm kind of going to struggle because i'm into really like disgusting art or like really extreme noise bands so i don't know where that fits into it but um but i don't know you must share the same skepticism as me for sort of the institution of academia and how it's doing things yes i do yeah i do but i also have um deep faith in human beings ultimately and i have found on a one-to-one basis and the work that i do when i'm going in as an emotional intelligence trainer teacher speaker um that when people was rachel elmer would say like have their pattern interrupted and you start to kind of frame things in a different way people are open and are receptive because consciousness is shifting and then but yeah i am skeptical of institutions although i do feel that there are some great ones and there are some good things i think there are amazing things happening all over the place but but yeah 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 we're going through quite an extreme weeding out process i think that's what's going on it's been awesome to talk today. It's been really interesting. We've touched on so much because we were always bound to. Um, but for anyone who this has picked up the ears of, I kind of want to. I want to leave anyone who's thinking, "Ooh, I might have ADHD." What's What's the deal? What What should I look out for? And then what ought I to do? Kind of want to give. Um, if they, if, so I guess the main sort of uh, telltale signs of ADHD and you may have some or none or all of these are having um, sensitivity to rejection that's one of them like not being able to handle rejection at all well like having quite an extreme reaction being quite derailed by that finding maybe being quite good in a crisis but finding small things like filing a paperwork or something that essentially doesn't have dopamine, a dopamine hit in it. Essentially we're big, we're really triggered by dopamine. So often you might find that you, you leave doing something to the very last minute because you, you, you can thrive when there's like a massive consequence. But if it's like, no, you can do this in the next three weeks, it's not going to happen. You find a way of manufacturing um, heightened dopamine states. You also might then find you're having lots of caffeine and things that kind of keep you up and buzz and you find it difficult to it's a bit like butterfly brain like having piles of stuff everywhere finding it difficult to transition is something i really struggle with so it's like i can't find it difficult to get out of bed in the morning and then uh once i'm up i find it really difficult to get in the shower because it's gonna it's like oh but i'm so content and happy now getting in the shower means getting wet and taking clothes off and and like that becomes a big mental barrier but then once I'm in the shower I'm having so much fun I don't want to get out of the shower because that means like getting dry and and so it's like consequently because we're happy a lot of the time in what we're doing we don't want to intrude on that and we forget that we can actually be happy doing other things because we become very present moment focused and that means time can get quite blurry so it might mean that you're often late or you're very last minute because you're looking for the dopamine of rushing there at the 11th on the 11th hour. Um, those are some sort of kit and impulse control, really poor impulse control, which can lead to people being poor, like having trouble managing money or having trouble managing what they eat. 
um, or addictions. Uh, it also can be very, very sensitive. So you can find sensory overwhelm depending on who you're around or what environment you're in. And I have auditory, um, I'm really sensitive to noise. So if I'm in a cafe with music playing, I like constantly ask them to turn it down because I can't function with like other sounds around me because I just need quiet if I have to do something. Those are, Those and, are yeah, restlessness and difficulty sitting still, fiddling with things. Um, yeah. Yeah. It all, to, all stills to me sounds like an inability to deal with the matrix, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've been sent to sort this shit out. I like your style. Yeah. <laughs>